When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's Q&As. Just a quick note to anybody who's on any of the support services. I released a video early this morning about Thunderbolt stuff. And if any of my fellow IT nerds up there might check that over for me, it would be really appreciative because I don't want to release that and find out I made a pretty stupid mistake. However, I really think I did my diligence for this one. I've been doing this for about a year. It's, it's a whole thing. It's all in the video. But, you know, the only thing I know is I, I got gigabits and gigabytes per second fumbled up a bunch of times. But hey, you got to give people something to complain about. So I'm probably just going to leave that in rather than reshoot it. But other than that, what do you think about the science behind what I'm talking about? I'd love your opinions on it. And then I'll probably release it publicly on Monday. But anyway, enough about uh, my crap. Let's jump into the questions for this week. First up, over on Patreon, Tony Shadwick wanted to continue the conversation about magnetically shielding a subwoofer to try to make that easier to integrate in your CRT-based setup. And they thought, hey, if you just get the exact same magnet but flip it upside down, wouldn't that be reverse polarity? Couldn't you just test this by taking two blown old speakers, taking the magnet off of one, flipping it over and sticking it to the back of the other? And while I'm absolutely not an expert in magnetic fields, I'm pretty sure the answer is no, just because of how every single magnetically shielded speaker I've ever seen works. Imagine you take the lid off a peanut butter jar or something. That's the shape of this. So it doesn't just stick to the back. It goes over and covers it all. So the anti-magnet, if you will, goes and covers the entire original magnet on every side except forward where it's facing towards the cone. So I think if your idea were to work, they wouldn't have made every one of these like this. So I think it's a great idea. I love that we're having this think tank about that, but my gut is telling me no, but I'm not an expert. So I would love to be wrong. I'd love for there to be a very easy way to solve this, but in all the research I've done, I guess since I, I first figured the whole magnetically shielded thing out or, you know, refigured it out because it wasn't an issue for so long, uh, I, I think I've been trying to find different ways and that's, I don't think that's going to cut it. But hey, keep them coming. Next, Bim says they've been putting together Daemonvite adapters for use with Mr. And they've mostly worked fine with the exception of the Saturn adapter. They've tried both single and two controller options wiring directly to the pins on the extension cable, a second Arduino board, and every time the Joy CPL reports the controller inputs are continuously reading four button presses, making the adapter essentially unusable. They only have a pair of Retrobit Saturn controllers to test with. Is it possible the Retrobit wired Saturn controllers are incompatible? 
So just some background for anybody who wants to know what BIM's talking about. Daemon Byte adapters are the ones made by McGyver, and those are free and open source, so you could just download the design and make your own if you'd like. And there are adapters for a bunch of different consoles on there, and they're all incredibly low latency, like one millisecond or less average, I believe. So enough to call it like a zero lag adapter, with the only exception being light guns. So which is incredible, by the way. And those will work on PCs and Mr. And obviously your PC setup is going to really determine your latency. But um, so what BIM's trying to do makes a lot of sense. And what doesn't make sense is why it's not working. So the only part of your question that I could probably answer is if the Retrobit Saturn controllers were wired much different, we would be hearing this all over. We would be hearing of compatibilities with original consoles, with adapters, with with everything. So my gut is telling me the Retrobit ones are probably wired fine. I could be wrong. I haven't done an analysis on this. This is just speculation, nothing else. But I also don't know why the Daemon Byte adapters wouldn't work. Um, you know, you, you mentioned that you're testing it with the Arduino board. Arduino board. I still don't know how to pronounce that, by the way. But if you had said it wouldn't work on Mr., it could have been a bunch of settings related things. But since you're testing on that board, then that's probably, I mean, you're cutting out everything in a good way, you know, good troubleshooting. Maybe just plug it into your PC or something just to just to see, but um, I don't really know. That's a really tough one. I would try just politely reaching out to Mick somewhere, maybe on social media or if he's on any discords or anything like that, but that's a tough one. Can anybody else chime in on that? I would certainly love to know the answer because those adapters are awesome. And, uh, you know, I really hope Mick's able to to make a whole bunch so people who don't have the time to make them could just click on one and buy them somewhere. Hopefully, I don't know what the status of that is. I got to reach out to Mick one of these days. Oliver Claire has a couple of really good questions that I don't have the answer to, but I might be able to add some context and point you in the right direction. And I'll, I'll read the questions out too, just in case anybody else could help. But Oliver's been looking for a powered, magnetically shielded subwoofer and finally found the model that he was looking for. However, Oliver's in Europe and this was a US version. So the problem here is power, you know, 110, 120 volts versus 220, 230 volts, whatever. And my question to you is, have you tried looking for the Europe version of that used and, and totally beat up so that you could only take the electronics out of it? Because I remember you found a couple in Germany and different places, but shipping stuff like that's kind of hard. It's heavy. It's expensive. But really, the speaker is the thing that's going to wear out the most. I know electronics eventually wear out. I know capacitors, yada, yada, yada. I get that, obviously. But... If you're talking about running that in your power system, if you could find a used beat up one and you only swap the power circuit over, assuming it'll fit, then that would solve your problem and just hold on to the original stuff just in case. But that might be the total and easiest solution. Now, there's obviously a few problems with this. First of all, is it the same connectors? Can you simply unbolt the, the stuff with the US power on it, pull that power supply out and put another one in, or is the power supply built onto the board? If so, can you swap the entire guts of it other than the speaker, of course, and will that work okay? Are the guts of it used and beat up? Or are those in good condition? And I guess most importantly, um, can you even find somebody that would be willing to sell you that, unbolt it and ship it over to you to try? So what I that's definitely what I would start looking for first, just in case. 
Um, that could solve all of your issues and now you just don't have to worry and you technically might still have a brand new subwoofer. But the questions that Oliver had were great and I also would like to know the answer to them. Um, it's, I guess, a general rule that if you need a step-down transformer that can convert the 220 input to the 120 or uh, 110 or 120, that you should get something that is double the power rating. So if you have, let's say, a 200-watt subwoofer, you should get one of these step-down converters that says that they handle 400 watts. Is that something to go by? Now, I would love to know the real answer to that. My gut is telling me, yes, absolutely, because of the way power ratings are listed, because of heat, because of, of so many different factors that are involved. It's always good to go too high. Kind of like if you're recapping a console and you have a choice between a 12 volt and a 16 volt, it's the same price and the same size and the same everything else. Even if the original is 12, get 16, because if it's not needed, who cares? It's the same price and it's the same size. So that's definitely what I would think. Now, price might be a factor there, so it's probably worth looking into, but I'd certainly love to hear anybody's thoughts on it. I guess um, using that can affect audio quality, but you might look out because it's a subwoofer. You might not be able to hear any distortion that's added, where if it's some tweeters, you almost certainly would be able to. And the other thing is that even if the distortion doesn't happen, they'd still be running a 60 hertz product on 50 hertz electrical service. Would this difference in frequency affect the synchronization of the subwoofer with other speakers that were purchased locally and designed for 60 hertz? That is a great question. I have no clue. This is uh, the downside of me being locked to the US my whole life. The only other places I ever been were for work. And while I did spend quite a lot of time in Taiwan, it wasn't enough of a, uh, it wasn't long enough to be able to run into these issues. So I'm completely useless to you. I'm really sorry, but could anybody chime in who has some knowledge in this and might be able to help? Because I think this are, these are cool and fun questions that it's got to be multiple people want to know the answer to. We just got to get the info out there for them. Next up, Jerry wants to know if anybody's done any real lag testing on the 2.4 gig modes for the RetroFighter wireless controllers. I don't think so. I actually just had a conversation with Retro Fighters. Hopefully they will listen and could potentially start posting these numbers. Because really, I mean, this is one of those things, and I don't mean to sound like an ass, but if you're a company who's done the diligence to make low latency stuff, you want to brag about it. You want to do that extra work and post your results and say, hey, check out what we did. Look at how awesome this is. And I think that the reason most of the companies don't is because not enough of us ask for it. I don't think it's nefarious. I just think a lot of these companies might not know that it's important to market it. Um, but to answer your question, I don't see anything on the Mr. Add-ons controller latency sheet for wireless. Their wired USB brawler gen was six milliseconds latency, which is not bad, but we live in a time where you could very easily get one, two millisecond latency controllers on USB. So I don't know. Well, um, I'd love to, to test it myself sometime too and see, uh, but anybody that has the ability to test this stuff, please do. If you have a mister and an IO board and you want to build one of those kits that Lewis and I showed on the live stream a while back, please just do it. Post your results live stream it too, because then you get to show everybody how you did it and you get an excuse to do a fun live stream. Like, you know, if you're a content creator, this is everything that you would want. 
gives you excuses to do stuff, gives you reason for engagement. You could post your results and share them. So please have at it. I'll leave a link to the live stream that we did, which also links to Lewis's video and post on it. So you could kind of also have a written thing to reference and have his much shorter and much better made video to reference that you could just probably watch that first. Couple of questions from Jason Guffey. First, they ordered another old video processor just to test, but the HDMI connector is loose and it can't maintain a steady signal. So do I have any suggestions for how to replace this? So first, generally speaking, when it comes to surface mount, tiny pin components like that, I usually just pay Jose to do it for me because he could do it 10 times faster and it'll come out right. And mine usually takes a couple of tries, but I have done stuff like that quite a few times, especially in moments where I just, I got to get it done. I don't have time to go meet up with anybody and my method might not be correct. So other modders, please jump in and feel free to mock me here, but I would very carefully use a hot air gun to remove the existing HDMI port. I would check out all of the different sites, Mauser, DigiKey, AliExpress, if you need to, and find one that looks like it matches exactly. Try double checking with calipers and stuff like that. And then I would order multiple. And the way that I would install it is by using solder paste. And it's kind of harder to set up, but might end up being easier because in most cases, you probably aren't going to be able to get your, your soldering iron at the right angle to get all of those tiny little pins correctly. I've done it before and I've done it quite a few times with USB ports, but this last batch of USB ports that I had to do this on, it was infinitely easier to use solder paste. Be very careful, take like a pin or a toothpick and kind of just put solder everywhere you need it. Put the connector on, hold it in place, carefully put it on because you don't want to mush around the solder paste. You could use Kapton tape to keep it in place. You could, uh, don't use your hand because your hand will burn. And then take a hot air gun on low speed, but high heat, and just kind of let it do its thing. And once it reaches temperature, it'll automatically adhere to it. And then I usually kind of leave it a couple extra seconds just to really make sure, let it cool thoroughly to room temperature, and then hit it with uh, compressed air or some isopropyl, whatever else. And that's definitely worked for me for USB ports. It sucks. It's not fun. It's not easy. Maybe it's fun for other people, but it just frustrates me because I'm not good at that stuff. Um, but please, modders, did I get that wrong? You know, Jason, hold off and, and wait for better people than me to respond to this one. But I think that's I think that's a pretty safe way of going about it. Next, they were listening to last week's cathode ray podcast, and John Linneman mentioned reapplying a tint screen to a Trinitron that had been scratched up. Do I have any suggestions or advice regarding the topic? Yes. Number one, by far the best advice I can give is, is your room bright? Do you need to do this at all? So I have the monitor up there that you see, the uh, A-series BVM. I had recently picked it up. I had swapped around a couple with a friend. And after I had bought it and got it home, I went, oh man, this thing is really scratched. I think the glass is cracked. And upon further inspection, it was just the tint coating on it. So I was able to remove it. I was on like a private live stream with uh, with Shank and uh, um, with, uh, I think, Lewis from Says Retro was on, coincidentally enough, and, and Martin. And I was kind of doing it live, showing it, and they were all laughing at me. But it worked perfect. Only had a little bit of gunk. Gugon got it right off, and it looks amazing. And the glass is perfect. I think there might be like a hairline scratch, but nothing to worry about at all. Certainly nothing noticeable, even on all white screens. But 
John's point was he uses it very often in room that, rooms that are bright or have sunlight coming through. And whenever I'm using these monitors, I close all the blinds in this room and I try to use it in as dark of a room as possible. So when I took that tinting off, it was dirty. I should probably make a quick, I got a video of it. I should probably do like a quick social media, YouTube short post on this, but it was dirty and gross. And the monitor just looks absolutely amazing right now. So I don't think I will be retinting. Every point John made is correct. I agree with all of his points, but that only one thing that I definitely want to impress upon everybody. If you play in dark rooms, you might not need to do that at all. It might just be for glare and stuff, but I could be wrong. Maybe someday I'll go back and retint that monitor and think I was stupid to ever not like it, but whatever. Um, lastly, Jason has a few CRTs that only have mono audio. Is it possible or sensible to add another speaker inside, even if only for a bi-directional mono sound? They think they prefer that to just mono on its own, but they're not sure how much of an undertaking this would be or if the magnetism might affect the tube, etc. So I have two opinions on that. I, I know Jason likes doing these projects and likes tinkering and having fun with this stuff. So yeah, that would be a completely fun little thing to do. You could position another CRT like through the air vents or CRT, geez, another speaker through your CRT's air vents. You would just have to find one where the impedance match. So you just want to replace, you would want to replace the one and with two that have the same amount of impedance as the first. And of course you want them magnetically shielded, which should be a little easier to find. But my personal opinion on this is this is exactly why we have computer or computer speakers and, and better audio choices, because that's a lot of work and you could always potentially mess something up. Not you personally, Jason, anybody could, the moment you crack something open and you try changing the, the structure of it, you could always have the chance of messing something up. Whereas you could probably go to a thrift store and get magnetically shielded PC speakers that aren't bad, certainly no worse than the TV's mono speaker for 10 bucks. So that's definitely how I would do it, but that's laziness. And the like for the love for stereo audio is probably in there for me too. But you know, that's just my opinion. So if you want to tinker and mess around doing this, go right ahead. It sounds like fun. Just make sure they're shielded in the impedance matches. Next up, Sal said that a big batch of those Sophia 2 RGB boards for the Atari 5200 were just released. They got one, but they're having trouble finding a definitive install guide or video. Am I aware of any? No, I bought a Sophia right when it was released, but that was right before I lost my job a couple years ago. And then I sold everything I owned, including the Sophia and the uh, 5200 that I had. Uh, and then I never ended up swinging back around after I bounced back. So uh, I got zero experience or knowledge about that. However, you might want to look into the Atari age forums. And if anybody is willing to do a guide on this, if one doesn't already exist, please consider putting it up on the console mods wiki, because this is exactly the reason for that wiki for to, to solve problems like this. So you could always just go there and you know, and kind of reference it. But no, I'm sorry. I'm completely being useless to you at the moment. But if a bigger batch of those went out, hopefully somebody will pick up on it and do an install video. There's a bunch of great YouTube modders these days that show very good tutorials and stuff. So hopefully somebody will pick it up and maybe the guide will end up on console mods. Here's a fun one from Oliver. There's some impressive mega modem demos on YouTube, but they all lack one crucial aspect a second person who owns a Mega Drive and a Mega Modem. So all of those YouTube videos end up doing something like using their console to call their own cell phone or something. So Oliver wants to know, is anybody else out there 
have a region-free Mega Drive, a Mega EverDrive, a working analog handheld or landline phone connection, and a Japanese Mega modem. <laughs> They're very curious to see if they can get an online two-player game working over a peer-to-peer connection. I think that's probably doable. There might be some latency, um, but I would love to see demos of that. And I'd also love to see kind of external hardware for this as well. If maybe there's something that we could use like a, a Raspberry Pi Pico or something to plug into that expansion port and, and have the other end output to USB to go into your PC or just direct to Ethernet or I don't know. I think stuff like that's a lot of fun and it's obviously possible because of the X-Band project, the stuff that's coming out with Xbox. So that's a ton of fun. Does anybody else out there want to do anything like that and kind of want to work with us and do something fun like that? Because I think it'd be a lot of fun, whether you use all original stuff to make it happen or whether we do some kind of homebrew solution. I think that'd be pretty neat. Tony Escobar noticed I did a live stream on the developer Infidelity's full port of the NES Mega Man 2 to the SNES. And Tony wanted to know where to get those patches. And the best place to get them would be probably the developer's Twitter page. You can just scroll through and see. I'll link to the live stream as well because there's a bunch of links in there that might help. And for anybody that was kind of curious, I guess I'll talk about it a little bit more in next week's podcast. But basically... The SNES and NES are very similar in certain ways. So porting a game over is still a ton of work, but less crazy than doing something like porting an NES game to a Dreamcast or something, a completely different platform. And while there are projects like Project Nested out there that are amazing and kind of do this in real time, the developer Infidelity did it by hand and was able to get a little bit more control over how the conversions were done. And I played the live stream and I thought it was absolutely awesome. I thought the advantages of it, um, I guess the intent was to reduce flicker and slowdown. But if you want to play on original hardware, now you could just play on a Super Nintendo in RGB via just a cable, you don't have to have a fully modded NES in order to do it, which is another pretty big advantage. But it also paves the road for what could happen. So after the developer posts these up here, people might be able to then build upon that work and do things like, let me redo all of Mega Man 2's graphics with Mega Man X graphics or build a new graphics pack. What I personally would like to see, because I'm selfish, is I would love to see Infidelity eventually do this to the original Zelda and then have the graphics moved over from the BS Zelda to this so that you could kind of have a 16-bit remake of the original Zelda, kind of like Super Mario All-Stars, but for the Zelda games. So I think they're awesome. I think it's really fun to do all this stuff. And, you know, there are a lot of trolls out there like, that's dumb, you just play it on a Raspberry Pi, why do you need to port it? But, you know, those people don't have jobs and still live with their moms anyway, so whatever. <laughs> I think they're, they're awesome, and I really think if you like those games, they're worth trying. And I think one of the most fun things for me personally about that stream was towards the end, I, I had been playing back and forth, swapping between NES and SNES, and the last thing I did was play a level on the NES, SNES, and then Wily Wars on the Genesis. And while Wily Wars looked amazing, it didn't feel the same whereas the NES and SNES ones felt identical. So that was kind of telling for me that maybe I don't like the Wily Wars as much as I thought I did. But yeah, it was a, a very fun stream. I'll see you on the next one, Tony. I always appreciate seeing everybody drop by. But yeah, that's while the stream was long and might not be worth your time, playing the ROM certainly would be. So I'll make sure to leave links to the stream, which has all of those other links in it. 
Robert is looking to convert component video to composite video, which is actually an incredibly complicated question. So first and foremost, is it for gaming and what's the resolution? So if it's not for gaming and it's 480p, you could actually go component to HDMI, then HDMI to composite, and you'll end up with 480i in composite video. And if you're trying to figure out a way to watch old shows or something like that, or if you're playing turn-by-turn role-playing games, the lag isn't really a big deal, and 480i was the target, then that should be doable. And even though there's two devices involved, you should still be able to accomplish that less than 50 bucks. Now, if you're talking about, yes, it's for gaming and it's 480p, that's you're probably going to want to go through a downscaler like the RetroTeam 5X or GBS Control. So that would certainly work. But if you're talking about 15 kilohertz, so it's already 480i or 240p, and you're just simply converting that 15 kilohertz signal from component to composite, there's a lot of things to worry about. First of all, you could never convert down to composite with just the signals without extra stuff and get it just right. I talked about this two weeks ago, so rather than just go through the entire thing over again, I'm going to link to the exact spot in the other Q&A that you could have that answer to. Um, But the one thing that you're probably going to have to do, as I think you alluded to here, is at the moment, there is no composite video or component to S video or component to composite video converter. So you would have to first convert component to RGB, then you would want to convert RGB down to S-Video and composite. So for those, what I would recommend is the RetroTank transcoder and a SCART coupler, because you could just plug everything into each other with no cables. I'll leave links to all of that stuff. And then once it's in RGB, then you use the other converters in order to do that. So uh, I spoke to Ivory from RetroCastle. I don't think any of those converters are in stock, but I mentioned that um, that there's interest and that I would love to continue testing because the one that I arrived to me to test was damaged in shipping, so I wasn't able to actually put it through its paces. But if Ivory is willing to release that as another product, which is, you know, it's always a lot of work to release a product, but that would be a very, very passable solution Um, And if not, I don't know, it's going to be roll the dice and see what you think. But yeah, let me know if you have any other questions or if I got any of it wrong. But unfortunately, down converting like that is much, much harder than you might think. Well, that's it for this time. Once again, all the questions have only been on Patreon, but... As always, wherever it is that you support, if you have a question, feel free to ask. It's just that there's the most amount of people signed up on Patreon, so that's where the the most chance of a question coming from is. But any question at all that you have, just ask wherever it is that you support in the Q&A post and pick the newest Q&A post that's up. Because the way the services work, I can't really figure out what's a new question on an old post. Plus, I really like just answering them in real time like I always do, as if we're just hanging out together or something. So any questions you got, fire away. Thank you all so much for your support and I'll see you next week.